Welcome in, welcome in, welcome once again to the newest edition of Three In, Three Out, the most unique Seahawks podcast out there. I am your host, Clinton Bonner, and of course, I am joined by the one, the only, the great Brandon Schultz. And Brandon, we're still coming off this, I don't know about you, this this three o'clock high, this I'm still riding this wave of what was a maybe a subdued draft class of only three people. But hey, when you get the right three, I can still be fired up about who we got in this draft class. That's right. I mean, you can't, you can only be happy about who is on the team. And I suppose you could, you can be as mad as you want that the Seahawks weren't able to go out there and then flip those three picks into a first, a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, you know, an entire full draft class. But that would be pretty unreasonable to think that somebody would be able to do that. And you'd have to give up players who are already good that are on the team to to try and make for a full draft class. So, yeah, be happy with what you got. Yeah, you, know, you get what you get and you don't get upset is, is a favorite of uh, parents around these parts, at least in the, in the Northeast. Is that let, let's just let's just gut check that. Is that a saying in Montana? Do people say those things? You know, I've always said you get what you get and you don't throw a fit because I, I feel like that has a little bit better rhyming scheme. But I've heard it that way, too. Yeah, God. Well, you know, I, that both both seem to work. Both seem to work, and then and, then, and I think, you know, talk about working. You know, we're, we're doing this on a Friday night for uh for the for the flock out there. We're excited. We're live via the locker room app, and like the whole thing for me, Brandon, is I went back and you know I, I do the dumb things, right? I, and by the dumb things, what do, what do I mean by this? I mean I go read the the, the draft grades, right? I go back and like oh. Like, I don't know why I do this to myself. What did Pete Prisco have to say about our draft class? And what did this, you know, this other jabroni have to say about our draft class? And it was like the same thing, which was interesting and consistent and head scratching that it was so much like, you know, I really like the dudes they took, but three picks. Well, it's got to be a C. It's and I just I don't. I, I, I don't get yeah. it. Do you, you like the picks of, of the guys that they picked or don't you like the guys that they picked? It, just because a team goes out and drafts 12 guys, then do they automatically get an A? I, if they go right. out and draft right. 12 terrible players that you don't see as fits for their team, then it's a terrible draft grade. Right. Yeah, they got to get all this great volume. Hey, you know what? It's and I think we talked about this. We canvassed this in the weeks leading up to the draft is that like. Maybe this is the year to not go willy nilly with with volume of picks and instead narrow in on some dudes that you really think could could come in. And I think in some cases, compete day one, uh, in some cases, maybe start day one. And in other cases, maybe be a, a really strong candidate for a year or two down the road, taking over really key positions. So I'm not going to throw out some grade. I'm just going to say. I'm very satisfied with the folks we brought in. And if you, have, if you want to put the caveat of given the tip picks, whatever, it's just like, dude, we're, are we better than we were a couple of days ago? The answer for me is yes. Why? Because we address things we needed. Like, uh, that seems pretty simple to me. That was the thing that stood out to me most just by the three picks that they took. They took guys at the top needs for the team. And had they gone in a different order, okay, fine. Yeah, offensive line, corner, and wide receiver. That's that's where they were lacking depth, and that's where they went, and they added more depth. And then they added some more with the undrafted free agents. So I I definitely understood it. And I think most Seahawks fans understood it too, because looking at the SB Nation reacts, 
Seahawks fans, the percentage breakdown of, of giving letter grades A through F, 19% gave it an A. So there you go. 55% yeah. came in at the B level. So that's where majority of Seahawks fans okay. were. Sure, sure. 18% at C. And then 4% each between D and F. So 8% split those lower grades. Yeah, and okay. So those lower people are definitely wrong, which is fine. You know, you, sometimes you're wrong in life, and you just, and you'll admit it later, which is which is good. I, cannot, I mean, if you I, know what though, the people who gave it a D and an F, and maybe they didn't like the picks, maybe maybe they just right. didn't see the direction of those guys. But my my hunch is that you give it a D or an F because you disagree with the process. If you if you disagree with the idea of trading away your picks for veterans. And so you want to react to that within the grade there and say, John Schneider. Yeah. I, I like that you went out and got some veterans, but do that in free agency. Don't give away our picks. We need those picks for cheap talent that you can get within the draft. Sure. And, and, and I, and I get it. And I'll still say my opinion is like that they're also wrong because <laughs> we had, we had a strong, we had a strong off season already. We brought in veterans. We, we traded away picks for chips which i'm i'm always okay with frankly you get gabe jackson for a fifth yeah I'll, every single year if there's gabe jackson's out there for a fifth you do it so so i'm uh, as a whole i think uh, i think it's been a very strong off season and what i also like that i do want to chat with you about we'll probably probably meander our way through these picks but i also like that we broke some molds you know we didn't just go down the same paths we've gone down before with the same body type and, and the things that, you know, the, the, hey, that's the sea hockey guy. We, we, we really diverted from those in several ways. And I think each little nook and cranny is pretty interesting when you go through the three picks on the ways in which they diverge from who they might have taken in years past. Well, the way they didn't diverge is that they all seem to get guys who seem like good dudes, right? And that's, I feel like dogs, you know, when they're going right? through dogs, when they're going through the interview process, they, they find guys who fit within the team. So I'm glad when they're diverging, they're not diverging in that way. But yeah, I, I see very different traits with each one of these guys that, that you can point to for sure. Yeah. And is there a particular one? Do you want to start at the top? You want to start with the, with, with uh, Mr. D there? Yes, yeah, we can start pleasure? with Dwayne Eskridge, the receiver yeah. out of Western Michigan. We're, we're going to have time to go through all these guys because unfortunately the locker room app not seeming to work with uh, getting people into the chat this week. So if you are listening in live and you can't raise your hand, but you have something to say, I am following along on Twitter. You can tweet at me at SeahawkersPod. And we can get your comments there or you can go to fieldgoals.com, comment within the article that was promoting this episode, and I can see your comments there and we can get them on the air. Look at that on the fly, on the fly. You know, sometimes you got, sometimes you got to be shifty. Sometimes you got to be changing on the fly. Sometimes you got to be good with the ball in your hands. So that's what, that's what we call a segue, Brandon. I want to talk about D. Eskridge because- you know, there, there, there were the folks, and I get it. I get the desire for getting a center. I understand that. I, I, I was that guy were, when we I, were going I'm, live. I was like, the center's there. Take yeah, the center. Yeah. And, and, and I was still, I, w I would not have been mad at all. I wouldn't have been mad about it because there was, you know, like there's definitely more depth in wide receivers, right? However, we knew we, we knew we were not uh, picking again to the fourth round. And when, when the pick was made, and I got to dive into who this guy was, I was like, oh wow. This is literally the guy, the type of guy. I don't know enough about D. Eskridge yet, but he is the type of dude 
that I've been screaming for since basically two years now, two full years of we don't have that quickness. We don't, and it was more and more evident last year. And that's why I was so hot and heavy on dudes like Isaiah McKenzie from the Bills who went back to the Bills because I'm like, we just need that element. And what I really like about, you know, I saw the tape. He looks good. He's he's kind of funny, right? One thing I'll say is if you if you watch his YouTube uh, film and you kind of squint your eyes, he's so quick. His legs move so quickly. He kind of looks like an alien. Like <laughs> I, I would I would say, you know, I, I wear I wear some glasses. So when I took him off and I squint watching his YouTube video, and his feet move so friggin' fast that he kind of looks like he's like um, Dash from uh, you know the the the, the red the red guys. Uh, the Invincibles, oh, right? Oh, the, right? the Incredibles. Incredibles. What, what the hell? Where's my head at? He looks like Dash from The Incredibles when he's running on water. He just his his legs look like they're fake. Uh, that's how that's how fast he looks out there, which was which was super cool to see. Yeah, The Invincibles. What the hell's wrong with me? I'll pass it to you, Brandon. How, what do you think of D? What is The Invincibles? Is that the? the- I, it's nothing. <laughs> Nothing. It's it's not the irreplaceables. It's not the replaceables. It's not it's not the replacements. It's it's nothing. It's a big big nothing. I I I, I got to take a lap for that one. The thing that and I feel like a lot of us have been talking about finding that guy and whether I mean everybody points to Tyreek Hill because he is like the dude at the top of the mountain for the guy who makes an impact at that size and that position. But even if he's a guy like Cole Beasley or Cooper Cup, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's probably you're still you're talking about the top five within that type of body type. The guy, the shifty guy that gets open, uh, you know, Edelman. I don't know if it, he's uh, is Edelman a little bit bigger. Anyway, it's it's that type of mold. And it's kind of interesting. I, I've seen a little bit of people bagging on the Eskridge pick in terms of competition. And, you know, playing within the Mac makes sense. Uh, Then there's age, which he comes out of of the draft at 24. And okay, I I mean, that's one thing that you can point to. But when I think of 24 year old players that have come into the NFL and have some success, uh, how about your quarterback, Russell Wilson, who came out of Wisconsin and was 24 his rookie season? How about, you know. Cooper Cup, the other guy who is a receiver of that size, came out of Eastern Washington at 24. And oh, by the way, he played against competition that was you know, Big Sky uh, Conference, which is the the FCS. It's not even FBS like the MAC. So uh, I I think you can see you you can go and find guys who have success at at those different data points that that maybe. Uh, and uh, yeah, maybe they turn you off a little bit because you want a guy who's going to be with the team long-term and coming out as a 20 year old receiver. And, you know, you, he's going to get multiple four year deals with the team. Sure. But you know, sometimes if a guy's with the team for the entire rookie contract, that's good too. Yeah. That that's, that's a okay. And and you know what, that's where it's got to start regardless, right? It's got to start there anyway. So you get your four years with this guy and it, to me, it would be a, the, the scene missing from what you just said, which is all true. The piece that's missing is, well, like, listen, he, he went to the senior bowl and he lit people up. Like, so what is he supposed to do? All right. So he's a little older. All right. Well, then maybe he's a little bit more polished, you know, like we're, we're still in a win now mode here. So maybe that age is actually a bit of a positive for the next 
you know, season, two seasons, three yeah. seasons. It, I mean, it you didn't know, his, work his for entire... Brandon Whedon when he came into the league at 28. But... <laughs> Not much worked for, for old, old B there when he came into the league. Let, let's be fair. And, and with that, you know, okay, senior bowl, he, he wins his one-on-ones. He shows that he can get open and basically just juke dudes with incredible quickness right from the line. And then he could get that horizontal game going. So as much as I like D. Eskridge, I like the idea. That's what I like, right? I like the the philosophy of taking that dude to fit the offense we want to run. The thing that excites me the most about it is that I think I feel it's a hat tip to Waldron for Shane, the main brain for Pete to say, Hey, I know you're clamoring for this kind of guy. We're spending our first pick, albeit in the second round, on a guy that we know fits the offense you want to run. That, to me, is huge. Yeah, for Russ, for Waldron, it it does make some sense. One of the things that we didn't know when we saw this pick come down, and, and you and I were here on Locker Room talking about it on Friday, was that the guys who had come out as undrafted free agents. And I, I kind of want to save the the UDFAs for the end, but sure. I do want to mention that if you would have told me that they could get Kate Johnson as an undrafted free agent and been maybe a similar type of guy, then I could have, I, in hindsight, I would have liked going with the center then in the second round. I, I, I understand that. That's, that's at least, that's logical. And I get that. And, you know, I watched a little film on Kay Johnson. Guy seen, I, watched his, uh, I watched his interview that he did with Rob Staten. So I went back and watched that as well. Seems like a real nice guy. Certainly knows the game. Um, and I hope he works out. What I like is that in years past, we've done things where it's like, well, we don't have a high, high pick. So we're going to just get a smattering of these guys. And we hope, and usually it was like offensive line, right? Things like that. We're going to get like these semi-washout uh, free agents and we're going to draft like two or three dudes and if one of them sticks, then we've improved our team. So it, you know, it might not be at the end of the day, it might not be D Eskridge. I think it will be. I think, I think he's, he's showing it, whatever he's showing me, what does that mean? But he's showing to me that he absolutely can be that player. But and the other piece for me too, is like, okay, you know, did we walk into the draft with a, did we already have a starting center who played last year? Yes. Yes. And was he a train wreck or was he mostly okay? Yeah, mostly okay is is probably a good way to describe it. Okay, he, so he's mostly some, okay. He had some moments though, but I, I suppose anybody I, I, I anybody who you, plays but... the position of offensive line and goes up against Aaron Donald twice a year, they're probably going to have those moments of ooh. Yeah, and now he's got Gabe Jackson who's mo- who's moving to uh, his right side, right, and then moving Damian Lewis to his left side from what I from what I saw last last time. So instead of that being like Upati, right, so much younger. And at, at that, at that, you know, as where Gabe Jackson is now where, and where Damian Lewis is going, a better player than you potty. And we talked about that when we, when you had a EJ on last time is saying, I think he was called like truckers versus the trailers, wasn't right? muckers, the trailers. Exactly. <laughs> I want to say muckers. Um, <laughs> glad I didn't say the other thing, but, but the, the, the point being is I still feel like, okay, where he's fine. He's fine. If he's the fifth best old lineman on, on that line, or maybe he's tied for, for, you know, fourth best, fine, whatever. But I will go to the grave with the idea that we did not have the type of talent that Eskridge brings to the team. And it's, you know, it's not Penny Hart and it's not Freddie Swain. We didn't have that kind of dude. And, um, 
The other thing that EJ brought up when we did a draft night, he's like, well, a center is a hundred percent, meaning like, you know, he's always out there for like a hundred percent of the offensive snaps. He's involved in every single play. Yeah. Very true. That, I, I get that. That That's like a catcher in baseball. Like totally understand that or your pitcher. I get that. But he also said, you know, your, your wide receiver three is really like 20%. But I kind of want to check that a little bit and say, is it really, or is it really more like, especially in the offense that the Seahawks have been running with percentages, really more like 60, 70, 80% when it comes to influence in the sense that what is he going to do for DK Metcalf? What is he going to do for Tyler Lockett? What is he going to do for Everett? What's he going to do for Carson? Like there's so much speed and so much misdirection that this guy brings that another body has got to, got to seriously consider where they're going to place their chips. And I don't think enough care is being put into the idea that, whoa, there could be a windfall for our top players because Eskridge is that much better than what we had there previously. Yeah, maybe just to defend EJ a little bit, if, if you're comparing apples and oranges, you might say that in terms of touches, the, the impact that the player has is significantly less. The, the amount of touches that Eskridge is going to get versus a center is significantly yeah. less. But what you're talking about is impact. And right. the, and, the and, and wide I, receiver has the ability yeah. to, to impact just about as much on every play as, and, and maybe not as much, but, uh, you know, it, it's definitely more than that 20% number, especially if you're talking about guys who are out there run blocking or making opportunities for another play or, yeah. Just when you're, you, yeah. you send a guy deep and it opens up you know, underneath type play for another wide receiver. Yeah, it, it has ability to have impact without touching the ball. Yeah, for sure. And uh, the, the, the other piece I'll add into that, which is maybe a segue into, into Trey Brown also, because he has this skill too, is kickoff return and punt return. Because at the end of last year, who is who's our kickoff guy? Who, who was taken aback last year? Oh, let's see. It was, well... DJ Reed, was he on punts and then not so much on kickoffs at the end? Was it Freddie Swain who was doing kickoffs at the end of the year? Freddie, Freddie Swain was doing some. And then and then really punts are actually probably more important, right? Um, just because of the way the game has evolved and, and there's so many touchbacks. Yeah. But yeah, the, but the, the piece I was going for, which in general was just like that DJ Reed probably gets relieved of that now, right? Which is, I'm okay with that. I think he, I thought he was a really solid punt returner, very shifty and, and made good decisions. It was exciting to have him back there. And if you are our cornerback one, which I think he's, you know, rolling into camp as, as our cornerback one, I, I don't know. I don't want, I don't particularly want that guy return, returning any sort of a kick just because of the injury risk. In some situations, let's say I, you'd see situations even where Patrick Peterson would go out there and field punt and kick returns just to change things up. It's not that you'd completely take it away from a guy and, you know, maybe roll Tyler Lockett out there do on some situations, but for the full-time guy, yeah, it, it makes some sense. And maybe it's a, a good uh, good, good moment to let people know as we, as we segue into maybe Trey Brown or, or Stone talk that we also plan on doing another live one. So, you know, set the old, uh, set the old VCR to, to REC because come Wednesday, I believe we'll be back at this. Is that right, Brad? Wednesday is the release of the 2021 NFL schedule. And yeah, I thought it'd be fun since we're doing these live reaction shows. Why not set it to something that a lot of us like to enjoy live as it comes out at the, the NFL schedule. And so that'll be fun. Set So set your clocks. It should be 
5 p.m. Pacific time on Wednesday, uh, the 12th. So there you go. Coming, we're, coming right up. That's what I, we're shooting for. I'm, I'm going to throw an early prediction out there because by the time we hop on Wednesday, it's going to be kind of like reaction time and, and flying out there. But my early prediction is that the NFL is going to give us this little juicy nugget. I know we played Jacksonville. I forget if it's, uh, I think it's in Seattle, if I'm not mistaken, right? So, yep. yep. Uh, I'm going to predict that week one is going to be Jacksonville at Seattle because I think the NFL is going to want to give the Trevor Lawrence, you know, show, like uh, get him against another, another, like at this point, Russ Wilson being, you know, being the cagey veteran, I think it would set up to be a super cool, super cool setting for, for Lawrence's first game and Lawrence's first loss. So that's what I'm looking for is Jacksonville at Seattle week one. That's my prediction. I, I appreciate the NFL giving us a, a week one victory. If that's, yeah. if that's the case. Hey, if we got to face Lawrence, it might as well be his it, first game it ever. It would in the have NFL, the storylines right? so, though, because you have not just the Lawrence storyline, but you have the two former offensive coordinators for Seattle who are in yeah. Jacksonville with Daryl Bevel and, and Brian Schottenheimer. So th- there's all kinds of storylines. The NFL could work into this. And there's the Russ drama that, 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 you know, that's thankfully over, but you know, oh, they we'll talk get about that it in every game, right? They're, they're going to make sure <laughs> that they address that in the TV broadcast on every single game. Yes. They, they'll be talking about it. So looking forward to Wednesday night and, and then doing a, doing a reaction for that. And, and then what's nice is this year, I feel, uh, we could start to plan maybe, maybe another Seahawkers, you know, Flockers road trip somewhere as well. Hopefully that's in the cards and folks Folks are, you know, w- willing to get back on planes and maybe we could all pick a road game together. So I'm sure we'll canvas that anyway, but I'm, I'm very excited for the idea of getting back together with the flock, going to a stadium and making a lot of noise and eating some good barbecue. Yeah, well, we're already kind of zoning in on that Bears matchup at home for the Seahawks because EJ Snyder, who I talked yep. to throughout the draft, he's based in Seattle and Brett Coleman's talking about coming in for that game too. Uh, because he works with EJ doing the the bootleg football stuff. And so that would be a fun game to plan for in Seattle. But yeah, the road game too. We've got to work that out. Yeah, we'll we'll figure all those things out. The X's and O's as, as that flies in. So why don't we mosey? Why don't we I say we just why don't we just go go in the order of the uh, the way they were drafted? Sound good to you? Cornerback Trey Brown, you're up next. Yes. Come on down. Yeah. Oh man, this and this again. Oh, I, I let out with this a little bit. I, I want to give you the gl- the glory because I know you wanted the sooner. You get your sooner. That that's amazing. But I really like the the concept of us not, you know, being willing to get out of the mold, right? So it's not the six two guy. It's not the it's not the dude with the with the the certain arm length. It's like no, this is just a sticky sticky corner who is incredibly aggressive, perhaps in certain occasions, you know, quote unquote, too aggressive. But everything you see about this guy is like, he is hard to shake. Like wide receivers have a hard time shaking this guy. And he played against, you know, the the antithesis of what D. Eskridge went up against when it comes to competition, right? He saw the best of the best. And I know, I know you talked about it, that Oklahoma didn't exactly have the greatest defense. However, this <laughs> guy a nice was a standard. <laughs> no, the, yeah, the Oklahoma defense it. has been garbage for years and years. And yes, they have their individual good players within that defense. But opposing quarterbacks and offensive players are always able to pick on the weakest links. 
And I know a lot of Oklahoma Sooner fans will point to the defensive coordinator and say, you know, that guy, he's no good. And that's a big part of the problem. But I think part of it is the type of game that they play in college, especially within yeah. that conference. And yeah, the but so I am happy that at least they got one of the good ones. <laughs> from that defense <laughs> better than the, the, yeah. the, the alternative there. Right. So yes, that's good. But not even somebody I was considering because th they've seemed so immovable in terms of some of these things like arm length that especially at corner that you got to have the length and the height. And we, we saw a little bit of it with Justin Coleman. He was, you know, right on the edge, but he was primarily playing nickel then you see him go to Detroit and play outside corner. And I, I think he could have played that position in Seattle, too. Yep. But it wasn't until DJ Reed goes in and they have it. And really, he came in because of the needs of the team that, you know, Trey Flowers wasn't working out that well. Quentin Dunbar wasn't working out all that well. And mm -hmm. here's a guy that came in and played so aggressive that you just couldn't keep him off the field at outside corner. And you have to wonder if, if that was part of the shift, but also you have to wonder if this is adjusting to some of the things that the NFL is having to adjust to. And it is because a lot of these teams are going with the bigger corners now. So to, to combat that, they're going with the smaller, quicker receivers up against those corners. And yeah, if you, uh, if you throw the, if you get rid of the ball quickly, and sometimes you can shake some of those DBs and make for big gains and yards after contact, that sort of thing. And that might be where they see both in terms of getting Dwayne Eskridge and then on the opposite side of the ball with Trey Brown. Yeah. And, and the, what was interesting to me was in the press conference with, uh, with Pete and John, and I think it was John just basically saying, Hey, things have changed, you know, like it's a, and, and that they had to also change just that doing what they did a decade ago was not going to work this next wave, this next, this next time around. And it is interesting. It's like, well, did they, did they have that, you know, that, that come to Jesus moment, if you will, last year with DJ Reed, was it just that quote unquote simple? Was it just that simple to be like, Oh, a dude who's not that, that exact shape and size could be ridiculously effective and did it open their eyes to be like, you know, Hey, the NFL's really, really changed. Or was it kind of chicken in the egg? Did they go out and get DJ Reed because they're like, Hey, this guy could ball and the NFL is already changing. So I wonder which one kind of, kind of came first with that. I think it's smart. You know, I think the things just things continuously ebb and flow. And one of the things that really doesn't or hasn't ebbed and flowed all that much is just the propensity to um, give the offense more breaks, right? Give the offense, like make it harder to defend, make it, you know, make it more impossible to, to uh, more ticky tacky calls, et cetera, et cetera. And if you got those big guys that maybe just aren't as fluid, they, they're not as quick. Well, they just, they propensity wise, they might be in worse and worse and worse shape as the years go on to just rack up, you know, rack up PIs versus a dude who like, like, uh, Trey Brown, who absolutely looks like he could go slide inside and play nickel all day long. But I love the fact that like, no, no, no. I heard Pete say it like, no, we're, we're going to play him out. We're going to play yeah. him, you know, out wide. 
And that brings up the other, the downside of Trey Brown that people point to in terms of his college play is that he was overly aggressive. And I think that that, again, I, I think that was a coaching point of the Sooners defense. And we heard a little bit within the interviews of Brown pointing toward, hey, that's how they wanted me to play that physical style. And, you know, we were okay with taking the penalties and really within college when it's not spot fouls, like in the NFL and you're, you you know, you're throwing the ball downfield, you know, go ahead and take a guy out because it's only a 15 yard penalty. Yeah. Why not? So I can, I can see that there. The other thing I wanted to go back to about what you said in terms of looking for corners, I wonder if they've always been interested in, in the Mm. types of corners that might have this kind of ability to play outside. Maybe it tend to be on the smaller side because, you know, Pete Carroll, he knows what he's looking for in terms of defensive backs. And you don't really see that anywhere else in the types of corners that they've brought in this offseason in terms of you know, going out and getting Pierre Desir back on the team. You know, he meets those the type of traditional link that the Seahawks look for. Some of the undrafted free agents that they're bringing in, they, they, they have that length that they look for traditionally. There were the reports that they were looking at Asante Samuel Jr., who yeah. didn't quite fall to him with that second round pick. And I kind of wonder if if he would have fallen to that 56 range, if, you know, maybe they take him with that first pick instead of D. Eskridge. So and just having, you know, the type of physical matchup on the outside and to where you say, OK, if other teams are going to undervalue this type of player, we have a value that we're looking for and we're going to go ahead and take that person in this spot if they fall to us. And I could, I could see that being the strategy with Pete Carroll too. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, well, you know, bringing back Pierre Desir, um, that, that, that typical size. And you mentioned the UDFAs and, and I know we may talk about some later, but now's as good a time as any, you know, Brian Mills is that, that gangly length yeah. guy. Right. So, which is cool. So I love, I love the, I love the gamble. Like, I think the, well, I think what I really love about this this draft class, I don't, I don't care that it's only three. I think the ceiling as a group of three is exceptionally high, and I think that's what that's what excites me. Now I realize you could hey you could you could crash and burn right this this we could be looking back two years later and be like well you know what Tutu was better than D and and Trey Brown well it, it turns out he just he's too much of a hothead whatever there's and and hey Stone Stone still can't run block right they're all possibilities with that I feel strongly that I look at these dudes I'm like wow man like not only does D Eskridge slide right in right away as that shifty slot guy and the guy that's on you know the jet sweep motions et cetera et cetera he also clearly has a path to be a legit wide receiver two in this offense and potentially potentially a one down the road. You're not going to need that. But clearly there's a path for that t- type of talent. Trey Brown slides right in. It's like, okay, that dude very, very well may start day one opposite DJ Reed. Excellent. And maybe this is a good segue to get to the stone cutters himself, <laughs> but our sixth round selection, the 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 big, just the big man from, from Florida, of course, Stone Forsyth, which again, ceiling wise, well, he's basically hitting all ceilings standing at six foot eight, but but again, a, a very high upside selection here. And a player that when you talk about breaking the mold for what the Seahawks like to go after, you're talking to EJ afterwards saying, 
I, I have some questions about how well this dude can run block, and that's a big reason why he fell all the way to the sixth round. In the past, that's not something that they'd even really be willing to give on, I think. I think in the past mm. that they would have said, oh yeah, he's off of our board if he if we don't think that he can run block at an NFL-style level. And the fact that they were willing to shift and either tells me that, one, they think that they can teach Stone how to how to block the way that they need him to in the in the run game. And that's yeah, they they see the upside with his pass protection that, you know, whether they see him and sixth round. I mean, come on, if if you have a guy that makes the team who is drafted in the sixth round, even if he, even if his ceiling is backup tackle or backup guard, you, you will take that yes. in the sixth round. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's, I think the floor, right. Which is like very, very good as a six round dude. That's like uh, that others had projected potentially in the second, potentially in the third. Mm -hmm. One thing I wanted to ask you, my, my gut says you did. I did not is I did not go back and watch tape of, of stone specifically run blocking. I saw the highlights of him pass blocking, gets his long levers out there. He actually has good feet. It's like, he's, he's not, he's not like a six, eight dope, right? This is not somebody that can't move. He actually has smooth feet. He's got obviously big, 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 powerful arms, but I didn't, I, all I heard was the dude can't run block. He's, he's right. really, really bad at run blocking, but I, but I didn't go back and watch and, and say like, okay, is it like, are we over-exaggerating? Is he really like, doesn't know where to go? Just completely, you know, whiffing on dudes or is like, oh, okay, he's, he, there's room for improvement here. And the Delta is, is, is so the Delta really stands out. Therefore it makes it even look like worse that he really can't run block. What's, what's the truth here is, I guess is the question. Yeah. I what's, think what's your truth? When I went back and watched, I, I wanted to watch some of the run blocking that he did in 2019 because he was blocking for LaMichael P. Ryan, who made it yep. to the NFL NFL running back. So I, I wanted to see that to see how it looked and what I was, you know, just based on the idea that you can't run block. I was expecting to see a guy just always out in space and not knowing who to go after. And I, I saw some of that. I, I saw when he got to the second level and, you know, not knowing whether or not to, to go for the linebacker and maybe whiffing and then, okay, I'm just going to, going to block the safety while I'm out here. And, and, you know, just kind of having some of that indecision out in space. And the other thing that I that I wonder if people are pointing to is that when he gets in the way in a, in a run play that he just kind of stops, whereas they want to see him maybe drive his feet a little bit more and just, you know, if you you will see a difference if you go and you look at the uh, Stone Forsyth tape versus the uh, the the offensive lineman from the University of Montreal who just. <laughs> Until uh, yeah, the guy yeah. in front of him <laughs> yeah. is on the ground, he is not going to stop blocking. And yeah, so I, when you look funny. at the, the the aggressiveness in in both of those players, then it really does stand out. But in terms of you know, just getting in the guy, getting in the way of the guy that you're supposed to block, taking him out of the play and making a hole for the running back to go in, I saw more of that, which I, I don't think it can be necessarily a problem when you're at college because yeah you you've done your job in terms of making the hole and you don't always just need to put a guy into the ground yeah and, as and fun like, as like, it is to watch though 
Yes. And, and for anybody who hasn't gone and watched Pierre Olivier Lestage's uh, tape yet, um, some of that, some of those things on Twitter, not like full on tape, but you know, little, little, little things here and there. I did go watch specifically after listening to uh, your, your last uh, Seahawkers podcast with Adam. And, and you, know, you brought that up that the guy, I think Adam said like, that guy has never, never heard a whistle, like just doesn't, does just doesn't pay attention to whistles, um, which is interesting. So it's, it's funny, right? You got a, you got a six foot eight dude with all, all the freak athletics, you know, uh, skill in the world who perhaps is a little more, you know, passive in run blocking, which is usually more gritty. And I think people say like, well, that's the, that's the, the trait you, you kind of want to, you want to be a good run blocker versus like the Jimmy Graham who's like, oh, I'll just kind of try, but clear, never really seemed like he I wanted to be I a good. I don't think he was Jimmy Graham type level, but okay, you know, good, there, there good. may well, be, good. yeah. <laughs> That's what I was well, expecting. I was expecting to see Jimmy Graham okay, level blocking, and I, it didn't seem that bad to me. That's well, that's okay. I could, and again, as a sixth sixth rounder who has really exceptional uh, pass blocking ability, I could live with that. Yeah, I could live with that upside of like, all right, we know Brown's going to be going into into free agency after this year. Um, hopefully, you know, I mean, knock on knock on everything. Hopefully, Brown goes down the path of a. Uh, uh, like a Whitworth style, um, you know, sunsetting, right. Where it's just like the dude could just take on one year contracts, but like, oh, I'll come back for one more. I'll come back for one more and still be really above average. I don't know what's, what's in, you know, Dwayne Brown's heart and mind and, and soul for that matter. But I do know he's a professional and I do know that when we run some student body lefts and he kicks out around the corner and it looks like Walter Jones and he's just like pancaking dudes out of bounds, like, the dude's still enjoying what he's doing. So as long as he's staying healthy, I, I think we've got a little, I think we have a little bit more in the tank than we, than we realize with Dwayne Brown. And now we have at least a, a, an interesting project behind him that, that might end up being a really solid left tackle. So going back to draft grades, that feels pretty good to me. Yeah, it feels good. And I think people recognize that when they said, oh, hey, the Seahawks got some value here. Here's a guy that they picked in the sixth round. Projected in the fourth round, that equals value. Draft people that give draft grades love value, so yeah. that's that's why you see some of the uh, the positivity there. Uh, before we go on and talk to uh, talk about some of the UDFAs, Pepper comes in, hits me up through direct message on Twitter, says, nice. "Where do you rank D Eskridge on a Tyler Lockett scale?" Okay, I mean, I, again, I'll steal a line from Adam and say, "Hard tell him not knowing." However. Um, I, I don't want to put it on a scale. I want to put it on a couple of different axes, you know, and mm. move a few things around. Cause I actually think he's quicker than I think Lockett really ever was. You know, just even a, a little smidgen faster and quicker than Kansas state in year one before the leg injury Lockett a little bit, just a little bit faster across the board. Do I think this dude has Lockett's hands I mean, I don't know. I heard, I heard, I think it was EJ saying, Hey, you're going to have to deal with some drops, yeah. right? You're going to have to deal with some drops. So, and Lockett has been one of the most, you know, um, amazing wide receivers. He wasn't quite as good in 2020, but like 2018, yeah, a, few 20, drops last a couple, year. a couple, a couple. Wide receivers are going to drop the football once in Every a while. Now and it's again, but, happen. but, but he is on a very high pedestal of like the most dependable hands in the entire league, right? So, do I think a rookie, uh, that seemingly has some drop challenges or, you know, catching challenges is going to be that good. No, you know, I, I don't, I don't think so. And I don't think that Eskridge from what I could see 
is coming in with the route running polish of like a full tree that Lockett came in with. Lockett was a pro route runner day one and could go do a lot of stuff. I think Eskridge might be a little bit more gadgety, but I also think given the makeup of this team, that's okay. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's what we were trying for. So that's to me, that's not one scale. There's a couple of different offshoots where they, 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 it's not in a vacuum is my point. Yeah, and I think that he comes in at the level that you know, Tyler Lockett, he, he came in. You mentioned the route running, but he also was the primary special teams guy. You know, he went, he was an all pro his first year in terms of his special teams ability. And, and still, and so to expect that from Eskridge, I would say that's even asking a lot. But in terms of the trajectory that Lockett has taken from being primarily special teams, but also having an impact in the passing game and then working his way into being really the leader of the wide receiver locker room and and being Russell Wilson's favorite target, the hundred catch guy, you know, and haven't had a triple digit catch guy in the in franchise history. You do. The, the hope is there that he can at least follow that type of trajectory and maybe even similar to uh to dk metcalf the trajectory of okay here's a limited route tree that he had when he was in college and now he can go and run those routes really well and he can do the fly sweeps and and do that really well and then develop two three years down the road to be able to run all the routes that you need from an nfl wide receiver and then develop three four years down the road to where he can he can be that type of player and I think that what you've seen on the tape too, when you look at some of the college stuff, if I, I think he could play outside receiver, I don't think he's destined to just be a slot guy. And yeah. if he can make some of those catches where, you know, he's coming back for the football and, I, you know, you talk about drops, but there were some amazing catches that you yes, see in this highlight reel I too. I agree. I, I completely agree. It's like, you know, I heard about the drops and of course on a highlight reel, you're not going to see the drops. You like won't that, see the drops there. Well, unless it's a really bad editor or, <laughs> or that person has like, you know, a, a bridge to burn there. Right. So right. some, some scorn building up and he's, he's going to, you know, bide his time and then make, make a crappy video. I'm, I'm thinking about making the Trey Lance highlight reel where it's just all incompletions. You know, every <laughs> he drops back, he's sacked, throws an incomplete pass, throws a pick six. I, I kind of want to build that Trey Lance uh, package for YouTube. Uh, that'd be very fun. I, and I, and I, and I encourage you to do that. I'll, I'll hit the like button. I'll, t- I'll smash that button if you do build it. So, which is, which is a lot of fun, but you know, thinking about expectations for Eskridge, which I think is the most fun person to talk about in terms of the, the three, just because of, you know, it's offense and it, it's still, it, I, lo- I love defense. I love a good defense. I love a two, one baseball game and a one, nothing hockey game. And we got Russell Wilson. This is about the offense. And, and we're talking Seahawks football. I, you know, I'd be super like, I would be like, where do I sign for if he lands between 45 and 50 receptions year one, but also gets something like, I don't know, 15, 17 carries, you know, or those pop passes that the course will come off as receptions too. Mm-hmm. That's great. If the dude ends up, I mean, I just think that again, it's, it's, it's those things that they'll be doing with him. That's going to keep defenses so much more puckered up that by the time we get to the fourth quarter, like first play of the fourth quarter, and DK just burnt his dude so badly because of some motion going on because Edge has been, you know, buzzing around all afternoon. And DK's taking like, you know, a 60, 68 yard to the house to seal a deal. We're gonna look back and be like, yeah, man, this this guy is is 
much bigger difference than, than we thought he might be. And it, and it won't be just the stats. This is To me, this is going to be a guy that's he'll be impactful in the, in the stat sheet. I think his his true impact will be wider and bigger than just what shows up in, in the ink. Hey, 20 catches. That'll be 20 times the production of John Ursua in his best season. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> There's <laughs> nothing I could say there. Listen, at this point, with the UDFAs they brought in, with the capital and Eskridge, and, you know, hey, Swain, Swain was okay. Swain was good. Oh, yeah. Swain yeah. was good. I'm not even going to say okay. Uh, and others that are there. It, it it might the 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 era of the slotness monster might have come to an end. It makes me sad, but I'll be looking for him on the FCF beasts, and I'll be cheering for for my guy John Ursua. Well, we've weaved in some of the exciting UDFAs within our discussion. Clinton, is there anybody that you is there anybody else that you want to touch on before we get on out of here? I'll just say quickly. I think I I'm I'm a bit of a. Uh, a bit of a, a what's what's the what's the painter the famous this is gonna be great because I can't pull the name off of the the famous Bob painter Ross? No, yeah, Bob Ross is always close. the guy that you bring yeah, up yeah cl- close to Bob Ross the guy who does like all the Americana the Americana paintings oh, great yeah. painter yeah uh, I think I, I think I always get the calendar yeah exactly so uh, shame on me for not being able to pull this right now but but I have this nostalgia for things such as like a linebacker from the from Army right a dude going to West Point. And it was, uh, I think it's John uh, Radigan, I believe is how you say his name. Mm. What I, and again, will the dude make the team? Who the, who the heck knows? What do I know about a, a linebacker who went to West Point and played for Army? What can I tell you? The dude's going to be, the dude's going to be a machine. The dude's going to probably be a tackling, just, just intense tackling machine. He's going to play disciplined football. And it wouldn't shock me if a guy like John Radigan ends up being a great special teamer who could just come in gun down the field and tackle dudes on punts and kickoffs and give us a little oomph. I'm pulling for the guy because why wouldn't I pull for a guy from Army? Well, I'll throw out one and we can get on out of here. I think that Tamari on Terry, the other wide receiver that we haven't talked about from Florida state could be, he could actually be the best wide receiver out of this year's class. So that's something. And I want to, I know he's on EJ Snyder's radar. Maybe that'll be a future upcoming episode here on field goals as I as I get some thoughts from EJ. But even just going back and watching some of those Florida State games, watching how terrible that offensive line was and uh, watching some of the good plays from Tamari and Terry it has me a little bit excited for his potential as a Seahawk in, in the NFL, just because a big, fast NFL wideout that I, I feel like can can slide right in and be David Moore plus. It'll be interesting. And I, I, I love the comparison, right? So if we got that, that big dude that could go up and Hey man, say what you will about David Moore. You know, I wasn't the biggest fan of his entire game, but how could I not be a big fan of the clutch moments he, he brought to us? Right? So, Hey, if, if he could slide in and nab that kind of spot, and just be that contested ball guy that I'm all for it. I think it's exciting to watch. And it's a, it's a put together interesting, an interesting cadre. And I do want to say it's Norman Rockwell. I'm ashamed that I couldn't pull that before, <laughs> but it's Norman Rockwell. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'm a dumb, dumb, but, it, but it did come to me and, and I'm, I'm at least proud of that. Well, we got that out there. We got the show out there, despite the issues that we might be having within the Locker Room app. Thanks to everybody who came in via Twitter just to let us know that you were out there and listening. And hopefully next week we'll be right back here and having a lot more success 
within the app and get more of you involved next week. And I think with that, Clinton, there's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. <laughs>